been greatly to be praised. Amen. Worthy of all of our praise this evening. It's so good to see in the house of the Lord, especially those that have committed to water baptism this evening. If you've not been part of water baptism before, just want to let you know that we always want to get in a good word before we get you into the tub. We want to give you a little bit of better understanding of what baptism really is all about. And I want to take you this evening to 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. The title of my short message tonight is entitled Dipping in the Jordan. But before we begin baptizing, that's where I want to take you. And I want to I want to show you a type of baptism that was prescribed to a man named Naaman who had a sickness and had an illness. And I'm going to do my best to tie that together with what we're doing this evening. But before we go there, let's go to the Lord one more time in prayer and ask that he just be a part of everything that we do this evening. Amen. Father God, we just thank you that you are great and you are greatly to be praised. Father God, in the midst of all of the struggles and the situations and the circumstances of life, in the midst of all of our storms and our sorrows and sadnesses, God, you are still great and greatly to be praised. So we praise you, Father God, because you are here this evening. You have a plan for your people. And I just pray, Father God, that you would anoint every one of us that's in this place, that you would anoint me, that I might bring forth your word with clarity and understanding. And Father God, that you might anoint your people, those that hear your word, that they might receive your word and a special anointing upon those that have chosen to be baptized this evening to obey your word, Father God, and demonstrate a decision that they've already made in their heart to just live for you. I just pray that you would be high and lifted up this evening. We give you the praise and the glory and all God's people said, amen. Second Kings chapter five, verse one through three. The whole story is actually verses one through 14. I encourage you when you have a chance to read the whole story. But verse one says, now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded among the people. Because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. And that's where I'm going to stop. And that's mainly what I'm going to look at this evening. To give you a better understanding of this passage and to give you a little bit more insight, Naaman was the grandson of Benjamin and he was the ancestor to the Naamites. He was the head commander of the entire northern kingdom of Israel. His name represented royalty. He was held in highest of favor in the sight of the king and in the country. But he had leprosy, the Bible said. He was a military genius that other nations or countries feared. He was a mighty man of valor according to the word of God who had access to the king and to his throne. He was popular and he was prestigious. But the Bible said he had leprosy. Naaman was a man of great authority. He held a position of power and he had influence over many people. By his own word, he had the authority to command an entire army, go here and go there, do this or do this, go forward or retreat. He was a man of victory and a man of valor, the Bible says, but he had leprosy. Naaman wielded power over many a man, but he held no power over his own debilitating disease. He was a mighty man of valor, but according to the word of the Lord, all of that was rendered meaningless because he had leprosy. His position, his popularity, his prestige, his power, 
His influence made no difference in his life at this point because he had leprosy. It's almost as if the Word of God is telling us that all of this stuff, all of his great achievements, everything that I just told you about this man named Naaman was disqualified because he had leprosy. If you know anything about leprosy, it's a flesh-eating disease that can cause your extremities and the extremities of the body to decay and rot and literally fall off. Your nose will rot and fall off. Your fingers and your toes and your extremities on your body will be decay and begin to fall off and rot. It starts out small and seemingly harmless. It starts with a, a little spot that you might be able to cover up with a band-aid, but if left unattended, leprosy begins to consume the entire body inside and out. You see, leprosy back then, and even today, if left untreated, has the power to permanently disable and disfigure its victim and ultimately will lead to death. And it's exactly what Naaman had. He had leprosy. According to Old Testament law, anyone with leprosy was considered unclean, even if he was a commander of the king of Aram, including Naaman. Anyone who had leprosy was to announce themselves unclean, including the commander of the king of Aram. Wherever they went, they were to announce themselves, like I said, unclean. Everywhere they went into every crowd that they decided to go into, they would have to announce themselves as unclean, unclean, so that those who were there would be able to avoid them and not contract this disease that they had. Naaman himself, this mighty man of valor, this man who had influence over a nation and controlled an army, had to announce himself unclean, unclean. No one was excluded from this situation. Everyone that had leprosy had to wear a black hood over their face and they had to cover their rotting decay. They had to live outside of the city and they were cut off and isolated from everyday society. And here we have Naaman, this man whose name means royalty, this man who was commander over the entire northern kingdom who had leprosy himself. In the Old Testament times, there was no cure for his condition. There was no man-made medicine that had the power to stop the spreading of this terrible disease. And there was no man-made cure that could wipe away its effects. It was completely incurable. There is a section in the Word of God in Leviticus that's dedicated especially or dedicated solely to those individuals that might have leprosy and how they are to treat the leprosy and how they are to keep themselves clean. There were rituals and there were cleansing processes that were uh, outlined in the Word of God concerning those that had leprosy, but the fact remained that there was no cure for leprosy. But when you look at 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10, you find that Naaman was offered a cure for his condition. He was offered a way to be made whole when no man could make him whole. He was offered a way to be cleansed when there was no medicine available to make him clean. He was offered a way to be set free from this disease and from its consequences, which was death, church. 
If you know the story, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going through the whole story, but if you know the story, you discover in these passages that the prophet Elisha sent a messenger to tell Naaman to go dip in the Jordan River seven times and his leprosy would be gone. Your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed, God said through the prophet Elisha. The disease that you have will be completely gone. No more disease. No more disfigurement. No more destruction. No more death. If if you would just go to the Jordan and dip yourself in the Jordan seven times. But amazingly, when you read this story, Naaman refused the cure for his condition. The Bible says that instead of embracing the cure, instead of embracing the solution for the condition that he found himself in, he grew angry and he walked away. He grew angry and he walked away. He went away angry instead of of made whole. He went away unclean instead of restored. He went away broken instead of whole. He went away sick and disabled instead of delivered. I want you to think about it. Here we have a man of valor. Here we have this mighty man who controlled the entire army of the the northern kingdom. He was diagnosed with an incurable, destructive disease. He had to call himself unclean wherever he went. And he was offered a cure. He was offered a new life. He was offered a chance to be restored. He was offered an opportunity to have his rotting, decaying flesh made new and made fresh again. But amazingly, the first time... He was offered the cure. He refused. This isn't part of my main message, but I want you to understand it's exactly where the world is. They're offered a cure concerning sin. They're offered a cure to be made well. They're offered a, they're offered a way to, to have their, their rotting, decaying flesh that is destined for destruction to be made whole and to be washed and cleansed of this horrible thing called sin. But when they hear the cure for their condition, they get mad. They don't want to hear about it and they, they walk away. When you begin to tell them about the blood of Christ and you, you begin to tell them that they got to dip themselves in the Jordan of the blood of Jesus Christ. They get angry and they walk away. They, they want a cure for the condition, but they don't want the condition for the cure. And we have to keep in mind that if we want to be made well, if we want a true cure for our condition, there's only one place that it can be found, and it is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the cure that the world needs, church, and it's the cure that we can offer them through the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. Naaman had a disease that was sure to end his life, and he was offered a cure for his condition, and yet, like I said, he refused. He was offered an opportunity to avoid death. He was offered an opportunity to have his flesh completely cleansed. And what does he do? He leaves angry, the Bible says. I would would imagine someone that was offered a cure for this condition would run as fast as they could to the Jordan River and dive head first and start splashing around hoping to be cured. Uh, Here we have a man that's, that's offered a cure for the condition. He should have grown and grabbed his swim trunks and he should have got on his water wings and he should have grabbed himself a towel and he should have run. He should have run singing and dancing all the way to the Jordan thinking, I got a cure. I got a way to life. I got a a way to be made whole. But what does he do? 
He gets angry, the Bible says. He actually walks off in a rage because he didn't like the condition that was attached to his cure. We've got to remember that, church. Look at what it says in verse 11. It says, I thought the prophet would come to me. I thought the prophet would inconvenience himself. I thought the prophet would come down off of his throne. I thought the prophet would, would be the one to, to do something to set me free. While I sit back and wait on him, I thought the prophet would do all the work. I, I thought the prophet would call out on God. I thought the prophet would make a connection with the, the King of Kings and, and the Lord of Lords. I thought the prophet is the one who would have to do something. And, and I could just stand there while he waved his hand over my head and I would be made well. Read it. It's what the Word says. I thought the prophet would come to me and stand before me and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hand over me and cure me of my leprosy. I thought the prophet would do all the work. I thought the pastor would do all the work. I thought the staff would do all the praying. I thought the leaders would do all the sacrificing. I thought the, the pastor would be the one to tarry through the night and begin to fast and cry and weep and call on the name of the Lord. I thought someone else would do all the work. I'm too mighty to do that. I'm too powerful to do that. I'm too big to do that. I'm not going to humble myself. I thought. I thought. I want you to understand, Naaman thought wrong. And we can think wrong as well. You see, what Naaman needed was to be baptized in humility. Naaman needed to be baptized in obedience. Naaman needed to be baptized in faith. And I want you to understand before I bring this to a close, it's exactly what baptism is all about. Baptism is all about being baptized in humility. It's all about being baptized in obedience. It's all about being baptized in faith. Because without those three things, this means nothing. Without those three things, all you're going to do is get wet. Without those three things, your life won't be changed. We need to keep that in mind. This is what, this is what God was trying to teach Damon, and it's what he's trying to teach us as well. He thought that he deserved special attention. He thought that he was the exception to the rule. He thought, like I said, that Elisha should come to him instead of him having to do something himself. I thought the prophet would come to me. It's exactly what the Word of God says. I thought this man of God would beckon to my call instead of me beckoning to his. You see, Naaman was so used to speaking and people acting, saying something in an army moving. He wasn't used to having to respond to someone else's order and someone else's call. But God told him to do something. And if he wanted to be made well, if he wanted to be made whole, if he wanted to be delivered, if he wanted to be set free, he had to obey the Word of God. This is what we have to realize. The Word of God tells us, church, that it says, Draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you. You see, when you read the Word of God, you need to understand it's your responsibility to draw near to God if you want Him to draw near to you. It's your responsibility to seek if you want to find. It's your responsibility to knock if you want the door open. It's your responsibility to ask if you want the answer. Do you understand what I'm saying? The reality is one of the problems with the people in the house of God is they stand still their entire Christian life waiting for God to come to them. 
They're waiting for an answer to a question that's never been asked. They're waiting for a door to to be open that's never been knocked upon. They're waiting, church. Do you understand what I'm saying? We stand around waiting for God to come to us while God's standing in heaven waiting for us to draw near unto Him. He's waiting to see, amen, He's waiting to see how serious we are to be cured. He's waiting to see what price we're willing to pay in order to be made whole. He's willing to see how humble we're willing to, how how low we're willing to go so that He can raise us up. It's what the Jordan was all about in Naaman's case. And it's what this is all about for us as well. Naaman thought that he could acquire the cure on his own terms. And on his own conditions, Naaman thought that he should, like I said, be the exception to the rule. But Naaman thought wrong. The reality is Naaman's thoughts deceived him, church. And our thoughts can deceive us as well. How many of you know that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts? God's ways are higher than our ways. And he goes on and says, as high as the heaven is above the earth, my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts were higher than your thoughts. The reality is, Nathan didn't have a kingdom thinking going on in his life. He had, he didn't have, he didn't have servant thinking going on in his life. He had a little bit of selfish thinking going on in his life, and it was about to keep him from his cure. Naaman thought wrong. He thought, I thought, it's what he, I thought the prophet would come to me and wave his hand over my head and make everything better. And how true that is still today. Listen, I've been in ministry long enough and counseled with people long enough and prayed with people long enough to know that there's individuals that all got all sorts of junk going on in their life. They got all sorts of garbage going on in their life and they think the answer is to call on the pastor or call on the staff and sit in our office for five minutes and us wave some kind of magic wand and say some kind of magic prayer over their life without them having to do one single thing and be made well. Don't have to pray any longer. I, I, I don't have to read the, the Word of God any, any more than I do right now. I don't have to, they don't want to have to make any changes. They don't want to have to make any sacrifices. They don't want to have to pay the price. They just want pastor to pray and make it all okay. Don't want to have to do anything. And the saddest thing is, when as pastors... When as counselors, you begin to lay out a cure for someone's condition. When you begin to lay out a cure for a busted marriage, and you begin to lay out a cure for messed up finances, and you begin to lay out a cure for failed families, they begin to look at everything that's required and they walk away unclean. They walk away still broken. They walk away unrestored. They refuse to conform themselves to the, 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 the conditions that God sets forth in His Word or the, 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 the conditions that, by which they might be made well. And they walk away, church, and their marriage is still as messed up six months later or one year later because they didn't want to pay the price. Because the pastor didn't pray hard enough 
because the pastor didn't make the sacrifice. I want you to understand what God is trying to teach us through this passage of Scripture is that there is a responsibility on our part when it comes to being made whole. When it comes to our lives being changed, when it comes to us being set free, there is a responsibility that we have. And the three responsibilities, especially concerning what's going on tonight, is humility, obedience, and faith. Without those three things, your life won't be pleasing to God. Without those three things, your life won't change, church. Listen, he gives us a cure for our broken marriage, like I said. Maybe you need to tell your spouse, I'm sorry. Maybe you got to go to a recovery house and get some counseling. Maybe you need to come to Monday night prayer. Maybe you need to come to the quest for authentic manhood and learn what it means to be a a righteous man of God and how to treat your wife. Or maybe you need to go to the ladies' Bible study and understand what it means to be a true woman of God. Maybe you need to do these things and you count those costs and you, well, I, I don't want it that bad. I don't want it that bad. It'll interfere with my football. It'll interfere with my softball. And it'll interfere with this. And it'll interfere with that. And I don't think I'm quite that desperate to be made whole. We call on God and say, I need my finances fixed, God. I can't pay my bills. I can't do this and I can't do that. And he, he offers up a cure and says, bring the whole tithes into the storehouse. Don't rob me. Bring in. Uh, sow into the kingdom of God. Don't store unto yourselves and build up for yourselves treasures on, on earth where moth and dust will corrupt. But, but sow some seed into the kingdom of God and the, the work of God. But, oh, but I don't want to tithe because if I tithe, then I, I can't go here and I, I can't do that. And I I can't love on the things of this world. And we walk away with our finances still in a mess. I'm telling you, God gives us a cure for every condition in our life. And he asks us, are you willing to pay the price to be cured? And more times than not, we say no. More times than not, just like Naaman. The first go around, we get mad at God because he's asking us to do something that's inconvenient. Listen, Naaman, Naaman wanted to go. Naaman wanted the cure. He desperately wanted the cure. He would have been a moron not to want the cure. He wanted the cure for his condition. He just didn't want the conditions for the cure. He wanted the cure for his condition. He just didn't want the conditions for his cure. And the first time he was confronted with those conditions, he got angry and he walked away. He got angry. He got mad. Thank God he eventually did what he was told to do. And as I close, I'll tell you, you, you know the story. His, made, his flesh was made like a little boy, the Bible says. And he was completely cleansed because he was baptized in humility and he was baptized in obedience and he was baptized in faith had nothing to do with the Jordan River. God could have sent him anywhere. God could have said, go dip in your bathtub seven times. God could have said, go stand in the rain until it stops raining. God could have said anything, but God said, go dip in the dirty Jordan River because it didn't make sense to God. It didn't make sense to Naaman. And he knew that Naaman had a pride problem as well. 
He didn't just have a leprosy problem. He had a pride problem. He had a sin problem in his life. And it's exactly why God said, go to the Jordan, because he had a pride problem. He knew that when he told him to go to the Jordan, something inside of Naaman wasn't going to feel right. And, 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 and it was going to buck up against God. And God needed to take him on that route so that the, so that the pride would dissipate, so that he could be made well. Again, remember those three words, humility, obedience, and and faith, because it's exactly what we need. I'm going to begin to wind this down, but one of the things that you have to understand and know about leprosy in Scripture is that it is always likened unto sin. Leprosy, just or sin, just like leprosy, has the power to destroy its victim. It may start out small and seemingly harmless. It might seem like you can cover it up or sweep it under the rug, but if left unattended, sin will destroy your life. Sin will rage through your body. Sin will rage through your marriage. Sin will rage through your mind. Sin will rage through your family. It will rage through your finances, and it will rot your life to death. That's the power of sin. It's just like leprosy. The reality is sin has the power to spread into every area of your life and completely debilitate it and completely disable it. Sin will disable your marriage. Sin will disable your finances. Sin will debilitate every single area of your life if it is not dealt with properly. It will destroy marriages and families and finances and minds and ministries and even nations if it's not dealt with properly. The reality is just like with Naaman, no matter what position you hold... No matter what your place of power, no matter what your great reputation might be, no matter what accolades are attached to your name, sin still has the power to destroy your life. And it's why we need the blood of Jesus Christ. It's why we need the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's why we need to remember that that. That flood that flowed from Emmanuel's vein. And it's actually, it's why we do baptism. It's a reminder of the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ and how it has the power to wash away every sin. It's why we do this, church. Because you have invited God into your life. It's a demonstration of a decision that you have made to allow the blood of Christ into your life. It's a demonstration of your decision to allow God to come into your life through humility and obedience and faith, and do a work that no man can do. You see, the reality is your popularity can't wash away your sin. Your place of power and prestige can't overcome your sin. The the, the meaning of your name and the, the influence that your name might have here on earth has absolutely no influence over the power of sin in your life. It's why you need the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's why we must come to the cross. The sad reality is, so often we think like Naaman. Why do I have to come off of my throne? Why can't God come off of his? So often we look for the cheaper way out. You see, Naaman wanted to go to a different river. Naaman wanted to go to a different body of water. Naaman wanted to go to a closer river. Naaman wanted to go to a body of water that had a better reputation. Naaman wanted to go into a a river and a body of water that, that lined up with his thought process. And so often we want the same thing, church. Why should I have to go to that old ugly cross? Why should I have to confess my guilt? Why should I have to repent of my sins? Why should I have to associate myself with the other criminals of the cross? I'm not a murderer. 
I'm not a I'm not a hardened criminal. I'm not a thief. I'm not a prostitute. I'm not all of those things. Why should I have to humble myself? Why why should I have to do that in order to be made well? Because it's part of the process, church. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. You see, Naaman's cure, as I close, required these three things. Naaman's cure first required humility because the Lord opposes the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. And it's what baptism is all about. Baptism is all about humility that says, God, no matter who I am, No matter whether I'm young, no matter whether I'm old, no matter whether I'm black, no matter whether I'm white, no matter whether I've got a fancy name, no matter how well-educated I am, no matter how much money I am, it says, I still need Jesus. I still need Jesus. No matter how many accolades are attached to me, no matter how many great earthly accomplishments I have achieved so far in my life, I still need Jesus. Baptism is a confession of humility. Naaman's cure required obedience because it's obedience is better than sacrifice. Remember, it's not what about it's not about what Naaman thought. It's about what God required. And God required him to go to the Jordan and dip seven times. And if he was going to be made whole, obedience had to be part of his life. When you step into this water, look, if you've got no intention of obeying the voice of God, the will of God, or the word of God before you go into that water, you're not going to obey him when you come out. There's no power in this water. You must have decided in your heart. You stand here. Every candidate that goes down this water is saying, I have decided to obey Jesus Christ. When I go in and I come out, it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives within me. It's no longer my will that be done, but it's the will of my Father which is in heaven. Because He poured out His blood so that I could be cured. If you got no intention of changing your life, when you go in that water, I'm telling you, all you're going to do is get wet. I don't care what age you are. Your heart should say, God, I'm here to obey you. God, I'm here to live for you. God, I'm here to serve you. Whether you're six or 60, the heart should be the same. I love Jesus, and I want to do what he says. Amen. Finally, it requires faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. You see, when you stand here, you've got to have faith that this actually means something. You've got to have faith that the blood of Christ is able to wash away every sin. You've got to have faith in the work of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ. You've got to have faith that everything you've heard on Sunday morning or heard from your mommy or heard from your daddy or heard from the pastor is true. You've got to have faith that he sent his only begotten son so that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You've got to have humility, you've got to have obedience, and you've got to have faith. So if you're here tonight and you're a candidate for water baptism, put up your hand for a second. If you're here to be baptized in water this evening, I'm just encouraging you, have humility. Have a heart that just trusts in God. If you're a candidate for baptism, you can put your hands down. I just want you to be willing to say, God, it's all about you and not about me. I'm doing this as a demonstration of me surrendering my will to yours. And God, ultimately, I'm demonstrating my faith in the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.